having a lot of problems today. A lot of problems. Mm. That could be a topic. Yeah. Um, Ugh, uh, I got 99 problems and... No. <laughs> a podcast ain't one. Just, no. You are listening to Priority, a podcast hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Half of Eight Jobs. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, please visit us online at priority.fm slash 13. Quick programming note, on May 8th, we'll be discussing the Netflix original series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. For more information, visit us online at priority.fm slash UKS. genesis of this particular topic is um, something a little bit meta, because uh, in writing last week's show notes, um, I used the term mission creep, um, and uh, and actually you had asked me um, what I meant by that, because that is um, apparently a super douchey consultant you know, or military <laughs> kind of term. Um but uh, I, I ended up I, – I meant something along the lines of mission creep or scope creep because those are two terms that I'm familiar with. And, and essentially um, what they are uh, for the audience – and I'll, I'll link these all up in show notes. Um, mission creep is when the purpose of your organization or, or the overall goal of, of the, um, you know, the enterprise you're engaged in, whether that's uh, launching a startup in Silicon Valley or an invasion of a foreign country. Uh, mission creep is when things are gradually added on to what you define as, as you know, your, your mission, your purpose for being there or your overall goal for success. And often mm-hmm. it happens as or after you're achieving what was your original goal. So things are kind of appended on, you know, as as success is looming in sight, you realize that, oh, you know, while we're here, we may as well also rebuild some of this infrastructure and uh, clean up some of the local corruption and, you know, whatever else. Um, and you end up with a much broader, less focused, harder to define, harder to achieve uh, sort of sprawling mission than, than what you mm-hmm. started with. Um, I've also heard the term scope creep, and I almost used that one in the show notes. Scope creep is, I think, an even more common term. Um, it generally comes up in, in project management and uh, software development, where the scope is a, a sort of an overall definition of all of the all of the pieces of the thing that would define it if it were done successfully. Like mm-hmm. the scope of your software is everything the software should be able to do, and all of the standards to which it needs to be able to do them. Um, you know, in terms of design, marketability, um, you know, functionality, uh, level of quality. Um, and then all the individual tasks it's able to achieve. That would be your scope. Um, scope creep is when, as the project progresses, things get added on. And they might start as, as you know, very small things, little bits, you know. Somebody says, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had another button on this screen that <laughs> would let you save the current state so that, you know, if you make a mistake later, you can come back to it. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if that also popped <laughs> open a menu so you had a few options for outputting to different formats? You know, wouldn't it also be nice if, and, and each of these individually can be pretty <laughs> small things. They might even sound, in some cases, like part of your original scope. Um, as you right. get, as you get into it, you realize like, well, in order to do, uh, just as an example, um, you know, say part of your say your project is to have a picnic, <laughs> um, 
you know, if part of part of one of the part of the scope is you need to transport the food to wherever the picnic ground is, um, if you don't have any containers in which you can transport the food, you know, you might have to add on a, an additional requirement for the project, which is you go get a, a picnic basket uh, or similar. Um, and that that might seem perfectly reasonable because you need that in order to achieve the original scope, which is transport food to the park and have a mm-hmm. have a picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, though, somebody might say, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if it also was uh, was able to keep things cold? So an insulated picnic basket or or a cooler, you know, with segments for, for cold and room temperature. <laughs> um, and little things just get sort of appended on. And, and often, the reason it's called creep is often it happens with not only small things, but slowly over time. And you don't really notice until all of a sudden you have a hundred extra things that you mm-hmm. need to, to define as the project. Mm-hmm. Um the the term that I ultimately landed on, though, in the notes was a little bit more clear, I think, than scope creep or mission creep, even though I don't think I've heard it as often. But I, I think people will, certainly anybody who listens to the episode will know what we mean. Um, and that's mm-hmm. job creep, um, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's the guy with the mustache stands by the water cooler. It's it's the guy it's the guy in HR. <laughs> like, uh, I hate that who guy. reaches reaches his hand across the table and, and lays it across the hand of the candidate and says He is so fired. <laughs> yeah. Um he, he should have had a he should have had a seminar with, with the rest of HR on day one and gotten straightened out, but Man. it's too late now. Now he's the job creep. Um, no, job creep is, of course, the same idea but applied to your job. So as you are in a particular role in a company, um, you, you tend to um, be assigned or accrete or create additional duties um, as you go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something we talked about quite a bit last week that, that you know, on a job, um, deliberately in some cases, like we both shared a case in which we were taking on things on purpose beyond right. our original role. Um, but often, you know, accidentally or, or against your will, things just get bolted on. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said last week, just about everybody's, you know, job description when they apply for a set position these days has a line somewhere in it about additional duties as assigned. And there mm-hmm. are, and, and rare and beautiful is the boss who does not abuse that in some way at some point when things get busy. Mm-hmm. So job creep then is... Uh, the idea that your your duties on a given job will tend to expand over time with little things being added on and added on and added on until suddenly you've got, you know, two jobs. Mm-hmm. Or more. Or more. Or, or half of eight jobs. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, well, it is... Um... The, if we were to, to think of the math of all this, it is sort of dizzying because I'm thinking about what happens to your attention when you are asked to think in so many different realms throughout a single work day, throughout a single work week, mm-hmm. um, uh, and having to having to switch so many different times if different tasks really do serve different purposes. Um, yeah, like absolutely. thinking about all this just makes me shake my head. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, focus, uh, and that's something a couple weeks ago um, we talked about uh, how long it takes to get work done, and and mm-hmm. you know, sort of the entire episode up until the very end was was focused on this idea of um, finding ways to be able to utilize a small chunk of time. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, I threw in something though, a little little disclaimer that like I was I was I wanted to talk about that for a whole episode, not because I think it's <laughs> a good idea to spend twenty minutes at a time on something and then switch. Um, but because it's it's reality that you'll have to sometimes. In truth, though, that's incredibly damaging 
um, to your focus if you are constantly switching every 20 minutes among things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But I, I wanted to talk about this idea of, um, I did want to talk about scope creep today um, <laughs> and job creep, this idea of uh, things expanding beyond what you started with and perhaps beyond what you should do. Um, maybe explore a little bit of how it happens, why it happens, um, what to what to do about it, maybe, and and maybe mm-hmm. to some other ideas in addition to focus. Um, why it is uh, a good thing to be aware of and to look out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about there is so much value in being able to focus on fewer things that you can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, when you realize that you've let a project sort of sprawl, um, maybe become a little tangential. Um, but sometimes it is hard to think of um, how to justify what to cut and what to keep. Um, I'm thinking about, oh, I'm thinking even of the Writing Center and its work as an example mm-hmm. of the different ways that in theory, a center or any service, so in this case I'm talking about support services in an academic institution, but it could be similar in a lot of other um, organizations too. I'm thinking about the ways that you can try to have programming and events and services that reach out to many, many, many populations and target them very specifically Mm -hmm. um, and try to serve them all well and consistently. Um but you're probably not going to be able to. <laughs> yeah, sure. So so when you are talking to audiences about what you do, who you choose to serve and how, um, how do you justify those decisions about, well, we decided to focus less on this because we can't do everything. Um, and that's not a very satisfying answer, but it's true. I don't know. Right. What do you think about um, that? There's actually <laughs> – I've made so much fun of this book without actually talking about anything it says, but um, <laughs> there's a there's a passage in the four hour work week that I happen to be looking at pretty recently. In that book, um, Tim Ferriss talks about uh, choosing a product or developing a product um, with with its market in mind, and and he kind of makes that a, a similar point to what you're saying here about. Um, you know, as great as it would be to focus on like students as a market, because it's a giant market. So you have unlimited (laughs) potential. And you know, it's uh, even even a tiny fraction of the market of students is a very large number of people. Um, But as he says, it's really hard to, you know, as as unsatisfying as it might be to like narrow it down and say, no, it's not really for students in general, it is for second year biochemistry majors. Mm. Um, which I'm sure is a thriving market that many people target with their products. Uh, mm-hmm. But he says it's it's much better to pick that more focused market because it's going to be easier to reach them. Um, you know, you you will be able to find and identify those people and figure out how to speak their language better than you will be able to the giant market of students. And if you are targeting right. the giant market of students, um, you don't necessarily get to... Um, you, you don't get the same percentage of attention for your marketing dollars because you are competing with everyone in the world who thinks students is a valid market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's that's one thing that you know focus gives you is uh, <laughs> it, you might give you get a smaller market or or a smaller audience, um, 
you know, we probably have a smaller audience for this podcast than if we made this podcast about literally everything. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, it's going to be easier to say who this is for. Um, and it's going to be easier to compete with the fewer number of people who are targeting whoever this is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, if you've figured that out, let me know. because. <laughs> well, and I think bringing up the podcast, um, in addition to, yay, meta, because I love meta, um, I think is interesting because there is definitely a sweet spot. There is a fine balance between the two. Um, because I think there's a way to to stay focused without being narrow. So mm-hmm. here I'm thinking of narrow with a negative connotation, like narrow minded or mm-hmm. um, having narrow sight. Because um, I think there's a difference because you don't, you don't want to alienate people. You don't want to. Mm, I kind of want to alienate people. Oh my God. <laughs> Fired. Um, are you the job creep? <laughs> Apparently. Not job creep, the job creep. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> Two different topics. Yeah. Um, but because uh, – what am I trying to say? Because things can be for lots of people and mm-hmm. – oh, this is not coming out, right? Well, I mean there there definitely is such a thing as a mass market um, and we live in a more diverse culture and we have more diverse popular culture now than we have in the past. Um, but it's still true that there are there are still some big hits that a wide variety of people are into. Um, mm-hmm. you know so I don't think I don't think it's necessarily true that everything has to target a small n- niche, but I I don't know. I, I think it's useful mm-hmm. to think about you know who who this is for and um, and as far as like, you know, not wanting to be narrow, kind of the other side of this, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about how things like scope creep and job creep happen. Uh, part of the reality of having a job or a business or a project or, you know, a creative work of any kind is that you probably are going to have to wear many hats. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the other, the flip side of, of and other duties as assigned, you know, or other ways that we, we um, accidentally pick up extra duties or, or extra responsibilities is uh, some of that's always going to be necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a, a solopreneur, you know, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. a one person show of some kind, um, you're going to have to do not only whatever you are in business to do. Like if you want to have a bakery, that's fine, but you're also going to have to run the register and deal with suppliers. And if you hire any help, you know, you are HR, um, you you can you can outsource some stuff, um, hmm. and these days more and more, you know, there's just like people for decades or centuries have had bookkeepers and accountants. I mean, you can you can outsource HR now too, but at least early on, when it's just you and you're just starting to expand and it's just starting right. to bring people on, you're going to have to do a lot of that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are sales, you are marketing, you are administration, mm-hmm. you are inventory control, you are production. Um, you are product development, you are accounting, you are everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if once you're in an enterprise, a well-defined mature enterprise with many different roles, dozens or hundreds or thousands of well-defined roles, uh, any enterprise worth its salt is going to keep growing and changing and new things mm-hmm. are going to come up and somebody's going to have to do them. And that'll sometimes yeah. be you. Um, kind of on, a, on an individual level, David Allen has a phrase that I kind of like, um, which is, uh, the better you get, the better you better get. 
um, which is just a reflection of the fact, too, that in an enterprise, if you're the person who's gotten something done that, say, is your job duty, um, if you've developed enough skill doing that that you've got some free extra capacity, your managers or your colleagues will notice that and ask you for help on other things. And your rep- whatever reputation you've developed for some- as someone who can get things done um, mm-hmm. is also going to lead them you know, more people to try to give you more things. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, oh, I see, I see that Beth is really knocking it out of the park with these kinds of projects. Maybe we should give her this one. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Beth. <laughs> oh, Beth. Well, and that, what you're getting into now seems to be an interesting thread of this, which is the idea of becoming pigeonholed. So not even necessarily that you are taking on um, too many types of things, but that you keep getting stuck with lots of the same thing mm, because you mm-hmm. have been identified as an expert in that thing. Right. Um, yeah, I've got a number of students right now who are getting ready to graduate in about a month. Um, and they're, of course, soliciting a lot of advice from mentors in their fields. And um, one was telling me about... Um, Oh, trying to look for a certain type of position over another um, so that she can set herself up in terms of a career um, Mm. in a more broad way so that she doesn't um, get into um, a larger organization for the thing that she's into where she's only going to have one type of work. Because mm-hmm. then she could become stuck with that type of work for the rest of forever. <laughs> yeah, she will oh, be identified by it. Yeah. yeah. So instead, the the mentor was telling her she ought to think about going starting with a smaller organization, even though it has its own drawbacks to start there. But that way, she can get lots of experiences. Right. Right. The smaller yeah. and younger the enterprise, the more hats you're going to have to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And I think that, I think that, you know, goes to, um, a first piece of advice, you know, we can give on, on defining that balance, like as good as it might be to avoid taking on literally everything that anyone can <laughs> throw at you. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, there is such a thing as being too narrow. Um, if you are a, yeah. a if you're a programmer in a language that is going away, that is mostly <laughs> used in applications and on computer systems that are going away and being replaced with something else, uh, and you don't develop any new skills and you don't have any, you know, your your skills at learning new programming languages are rusty because you haven't done it in years or decades, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, whereas, you know, right. as, as good as it might be to be like the world expert in Fortran, um, which actually I think is kind of a crappy example. I think Fortran is actually – is not widely used anymore, but where it is used, like it's really used. Um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're the world expert in, in some, some single, you know, computer language, that might be really marketable until that computer language goes away. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, uh, (laughs) you should use a very, very tired example from, you know, management thinking. Um, we don't need that many experts in making buggy whips anymore. (laughs) Um, we need some. And there's probably a few who are making an incredible living and a tremendous difference for the few people who, you know, operate horse-drawn carriages. Uh, but there was a time, you know, 125 years ago where being, you know, one of the top 100 buggy whip makers in America would be very, very <laughs> lucrative, valuable skills. But if that's all you were good at, um, you know, when the automobile comes down, 
Mm-hmm. And maybe that happens slowly enough. You have a career, but you can't pass that on to your kids or your, your trainees. Sure. You know, The next generation yeah. is not going to yeah. need that as much. And well, I, and that's super interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm, I'm done with that thought. Yeah, just like the buggy whips. <laughs> I'm also um, done with buggy whips, yes. <laughs> um, the, the job creep, though, he has a collection of them. I should have talked more quickly. I should have filled that silence. <laughs> just like the buggy whip. Um, no, so what you were mentioning right there is interesting because there even you're getting into how this is a, I think, maybe not a new issue, but certainly a different issue than it would have been for a previous generation of workers. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking about research I've read about um, – the different stats between what it meant to have a career or a job Mm -hmm. 50 or 60 years ago versus what those terms mean today. I think career means something very different to folks our age versus people who um, literally had one job Mm -hmm. (laughs) 20 to 40 years. Um, And I'll be really, I'll be really interested to see what happens in another 50 years and what what does the longevity of a job mean about the definition of career? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and that's that's uh, going back to your example of your student. You know, one of the downsides of of avoiding mm-hmm. job creep is if you don't keep adding new skills and trying new things and and you know learning to balance different combinations of roles, you're going to be less able to move from from one thing to another very mm-hmm. easily. Um, and and to the to your point about um, you know people changing careers a lot, I, there's a lot of stats on that. I'm sure I'll find something for show notes. Um, I'm I'm reminded too though of uh, of another David Allenism <laughs> that he he uses a lot, which is you know he says when people ask him you know what's what's new in the world of work and and you know organization and you know that that makes your material that makes getting things done so necessary. Um, mm. The thing he says is well nothing's really new except for how often everything is. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the metric that he uses, which I don't, I don't, you know, he doesn't cite any research on, but it certainly feels right at least is that you know, he says that most working professionals now will receive more change producing output in, in like a month of their job than their parents got in a year and mm-hmm. that their, their grandparents or great grandparents got in a decade or a career, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, that it's uh, yeah, all this stuff comes around more often, and we do have to keep learning and growing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's some of the some of the risk here, though. Some of the reason this is a problem worth wrestling with is there is so much change going on, there is so much tumult, and there's tremendous pressure to keep taking on more and more and more. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, mm-hmm. a a Franklin Covey program. I don't think I've talked about too much on here called the Four Disciplines of Execution. Um, that uh, I kind of like it. I actually, I need to, uh, they sent me a copy of the book for free recently because I'd said some nice things about their newer book on Twitter. Um, Ooh. So I need to, I, I said I would tweet a picture of, a, of the book when it came and I didn't do that. So <laughs> I owe them a belated tweet. Um, anyhow, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good book. It's a nice program. It's basically this, um, they do mention in there it can be useful for individuals, but it's this idea of these these four sort of, of sequential practices uh, for teams working on a big goal. Um, hmm. uh, and it, it seems like a very sane program. Uh, there is a lot of uh, proprietary research that went into it. It was under development for something like 10 years before they wrote the book. 
Um, and, uh, and I can tell you it was under development for a good chunk of that time because when I was there in 2005 and 2006, they had published a, a recording of a Four Disciplines audio seminar, and there were still four of them. But they were not the same disciplines as were listed in the book of the same name huh. that came out in 2012, uh, seven years later. So huh. um, clearly there was a lot of development going on on this. Uh, interestingly enough, it is still the, – the number of disciplines is still four. So apparently the important thing is, <laughs> is that there are four of them. <laughs> the marketing team came in and said, I don't care what you come up with, boys, but it's got to fit in four bullet points. Stick to the four. Stick to the four. The important thing is that there are four of them. Anyhow, um, <laughs> it, it, the four disciplines, one of the, the key things, the first discipline is focus on the wildly important. And, hmm. and they spend a, a good deal of time talking about the importance of narrowing your goal and not taking on too much, not overloading your people. Um, but they make a distinction between what they call the goal and uh, the metaphor they use is the whirlwind. They also, they also call it the day job, which is hmm. everything else you've got to do to keep the enterprise alive. Um, and what they say is, you know, your the reason your goal doesn't happen is because the whirlwind eats it. You know, the whirlwind okay. tears it apart because it takes a tremendous amount of energy and resources and people's time and effort to keep to keep just just the lights on to keep things moving the way they already are. You know, set aside the goal, and that's not to say the yeah. goal isn't important, but you know, the distinction is like if you don't do the goal, the enterprise dies tomorrow. But if you don't take care of the whirlwind, the enterprise dies today. Um, mm -hmm. And the thing that they say is, you know, so you should only focus, you should only have your teams focus on one or two goals at a time, you know, per team, so that sure. they have room to handle the whirlwind and they can still make progress on the goal. Mm -hmm. And the other three disciplines sort of deal with how you deal with those goals once you've narrowed it down to one or two. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing they say is, uh, once you've achieved your goal, the next thing you do is, you know, you're going to need a new goal because the goal that you just achieved usually will become part of the whirlwind. <laughs> like if your goal is, well, this year we're going to grow sales by 25%, whatever you do differently that gets your sales to that level, like the, the board isn't going to come back next year and say, well, okay, it's all right to let sales slide back down to their, their 2013 levels. That's fine. You know, there's never going to be a time where once you achieve the goal, it's going to be okay to let it go and just go back to what you were doing. Now, everything you were doing mm -hmm. before has to keep going, plus whatever you changed to reach the goal. Mm -hmm. You know, the goals of today are part of the whirlwind of tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's true in a lot of places. Like, you might take on a project as sort of a one-off, interesting thing to work on at work. Um, you know, oh, oh, we need to build a new scorecard system in Microsoft Access. Well, I've never used Microsoft Access, but, you know, I, I, I like Excel well enough and I, I, you know, enjoy screwing around with formulas and, and scripts and things. So I'm going to figure this out, you know, and you take that on. Um, you might find three months later, once the, the new scorecard system is set up in Microsoft Access, you are now your team's, uh, going back to unofficial job titles last week, you are now your team's access guru. Mm -hmm. You know, and you might find all of a sudden that for the rest of your time there, you are the caretaker of the scorecard database mm -hmm. and that you are the one that people come to when they need to add a new metric to it or when they need to tweak a formula or when they need a new kind of report run. Um, all of a sudden you have a new, you achieved your goal. You made this, the database and you achieved a secondary goal. You learned Microsoft Access, mm -hmm. but now you're stuck with new duties. Right. You know, you are, right. <laughs> you know, 
Beth now is not just um, you know, an account support specialist. She is also the uh, in charge of the care and feeding of the scorecard database mm-hmm. and the unofficial Microsoft Access guru. Right, because so often these great projects that we have the idea of, like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could offer blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I can't think of an example that that exciting new thing is just a single static self-enclosed thing that once it's done it will live in the past Mm -hmm. you know like if it's a new event then it's probably an event that after the first one is over you're going to want to be able to offer again in the future Mm -hmm. which means it is now an ongoing project right it's gonna recur right it's it's like well just the way you phrased it i I think something along the lines of like wouldn't it be be great if we could offer this thing Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, except for that once you have it, once you have it built and ready, you have to offer that thing, you know, right, unless, right. unless it is a one-off, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. some things, some, some seminars, some conferences, some, some symposiums, symposia, mm-hmm. um, symposiuses, uh, some things you probably only do have once and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you only plan one wedding. Um, and, and certainly even if you have multiple weddings, you're not planning them as an ongoing annual process. Um, I mean, Billy and I have big plans though. (laughs) We have a vision. (laughs) Wedding planning. Celebrate us. Wedding planning is now part of your routine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And not like for other people as a professional, Mm -hmm. like I would just like to have more. Because the first one oh was God. so low stress. No, there was uh, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, um, but yeah, I mean, there will be things. There will line. be things like that. There are, there are even products, physical products that are deliberately offered only for a limited time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they're done, they're done. So yeah, there mm-hmm. are there are one offs. There are are things like that. But I mean, most things. If your project is to develop a new product you're going to have to keep manufacturing and selling that product for as long as it's viable. Um, right. If your project is to learn a new skill on the job, guess what? You have a new job duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's going to be really hard in most places to justify spending time and, and worse, spending company money um, on developing a skill mm-hmm. and then telling your manager, but I don't actually want to do this anymore because I have my existing job. Well, it's right. like, why did we, why did we teach you how to do this? Well, and I think people recognize the tension between that because what I'm thinking about is I'm thinking of when you're sitting in a meeting and someone throws out an idea like that and immediately everyone recognizes that, yes, it would be so cool and, yes, that's within scope, that would be wonderful. Um, <laughs> but then the the next follow-up is always something like someone else in the group joking Oh, Beth, haha, it sounds like you're volunteering. Yay! <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. can't pitch a new idea without yeah, hearing sure. that, that joke. But I mean, it's only a half joke. Like, that half joke gets thrown back at you so quickly if you right. open your mouth with a new right. idea. Right. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely true. Like, people, people don't like to volunteer sometimes for good reason because they've already got their whirlwind. Mm-hmm. You know, they've already and it got it. Sounds like plate. you are offering to take it on. Right, for sure. If it was your sure. idea. Yeah. But it's like, no, 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 no. It's a good idea for the group, just not for my mm-hmm. workload. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, on that note, too, you, you know, you, you referred back to the, the term of scope. One thing I'll say is of the three that I sort of introduced this podcast with, with the definitions of mission creep, scope creep, and job creep, um, mm-hmm. I do think job creep is the most 
or, excuse me, I do think scope creep is sort of the least pernicious and the most understood and the, the most readily dealt with, if for no other reason than because in the world of project management, it is a recognized term and problem. And if you are really truly doing quote unquote project management, um, you know, the official way, the way that you know, uh, people with project management certifications and degrees are taught, um, addressing scope creep is part of your process. Um, you know, if you're doing, uh, there's a, uh, international organization called PMI, uh, the Project Management Institute, I believe. Um, hmm. I'll have a link to them in show notes. They do, uh, they, they do certifications and, and publish materials about you know, sort of the state of the art in project management. Um, and one of, one of the, you know, one of the major, uh, topics they deal with in, in their body of knowledge is, uh, change control and keeping things from being added on. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of terms in, in project management, just showing how mature of, of a, you know, world and system that is for dealing with this kind of issue. There's, there's a lot of terms that have arisen dealing with it. Things like, um, gold plating, which is, mm. you know, sort of just shorthand for, you know, we're going to add one more thing to the software because it would be so great. The quality would be so much better. The client's going to like it so much better, but it's yeah. not part of your scope. You know, you've just added cost and complexity and risk to your project. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they call that gold plating. You know, you're adding in something you don't really need just because it would be nice because the client mm-hmm. would like it better. But in fact, you put the whole thing at risk if you do too much of that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of an understood problem. I do think the bigger risk is is not like, you know, raising your hand and saying you've got a great idea and then having suddenly you volunteered to do something on the project because in a well-run project, you know, that whole idea is going to have to be vetted and people will look at what resources it's going to take. But in terms of job duties, that I think the I think the you know in unofficially run projects, sort of amateurly run unofficial projects, um, what you just described probably happens all the time, and definitely that happens with job duties. Someone says, "Wouldn't it be great if we had all of these these scorecards we're keeping in Excel spreadsheets and on marker boards, like if we have them in an access database?" And then all of a sudden, someone does say, "Oh yeah, you just volunteered. Right? right. <laughs> Why don't you go do that?" I don't know. Man, you the way you said it just there, I don't know if that's just that you've had better experience about how projects start. <laughs> <laughs> Man, but in my experience, I'm just thinking about it, the way that that creep just happens. It's oh, it's just such a free for all. It is sitting at a meeting, someone says, "Yeah, great idea, go do it." Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you're in this magical land where you have to walk around and figure out (laughs) (laughs) how to also be this new thing. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, you know, I've had positive examples of that too happen to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And not um, the one I'm thinking of right now is not one I even volunteered for, but um, I've done a little bit of software development, both just for myself and on, on various jobs. And the way that I initially got into that was, um, Somebody asked me to create a spreadsheet that did something that you know Excel doesn't doesn't do on its own. It hmm. required me to um, uh, learn to do some scripting. You know, I had to learn hmm. to I learned I'd already learned you know years ago to record a macro in in Microsoft Office, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people know how to do. But in order to get what I really needed, I had to also learn to to open up and edit that macro because there were things I found I couldn't record. Um, reliably enough. And I needed some things to happen in some files outside of Excel, so I also had to learn some other kinds of scripting. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I had written this little pile of software with a few hundred lines in a few different 
files that, you know, every night automatically a bunch of different logs were being um, taken from various places and updated and then combined together and formatted. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden we've got an output file showing up every night at 6 p.m. Um, <laughs> with the most up-to-date information. Uh, and all because my boss thought that this would be, um, you know, this would be a good thing to have and just said, go figure <laughs> out how to do this. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, and the funny thing with that, that's also a, a sort of a related topic that I was thinking of, um, a syndrome that I, I've heard people refer to. This might be something I'm getting from Merlin Mann, but I don't think I can find a specific episode of Back to Work where he's he's mentioned it. But um, I'm, I'm positive he's talked about it. But it's, it's sort of a phenomenon where somebody's like, oh, well, that's just a button. Uh, you know, you're talking to somebody who's making a web application or a web page and, and you How? know, you want something to happen – on this website and you describe it to them and they, they don't seem very enthusiastic or they say, well, that's not in our scope. We don't have the budget for that. Da, da, da. And, and you know, if you don't know anything about what goes into that, you think, Oh, well, it's just a button, you know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> right. just like one little thing. You know, we've got this whole website with 150 pages and thousands of lines of text and all these pictures and all these things that already happen, all these menus. Mm -hmm. Why can't we just add another button? It's no big deal. Right. You know, not understanding that maybe the thing you described, the behavior you want to happen with that button involves 2,000 lines of code and it has to touch a bunch of databases and do all these things in the background, you know, just to have mm -hmm. your button work. Uh, and it's – it's uh, I think this project I just described that got me started in programming is sort of a similar thing where I think my boss thought this was going to be like, you know, I'd record an Excel macro and, and uh, you know, maybe make a scheduler in our FTP program that would download a couple of spreadsheets to feed it. Mm -hmm. And he thought it was going to take an afternoon. In actual point of fact, it took me about a month to get the initial version of it working and then I, <laughs> I polished it for more than a year tweaking things and finding bugs and – you know, it was it was a gigantic project, and that's even setting aside like the fact that I had to learn to do all of it by hand. You know, I had mm -hmm. to, I had to learn from essentially from scratch to do this thing that he thought was like an afternoon's worth of work. Right. Well, and I think that gets back to some of the questions you asked initially about how does this happen, where does it come from, um, and I know we've certainly talked about this type of situation before. Um, but sometimes it just comes from people not really understanding mm -hmm. <laughs> what you do or how it works. Yeah. Not, um, not knowing what it takes to get real work done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because when you do have a better understanding of how the work happens, you are much better at prioritizing because sometimes I'm thinking about how sometimes scope doesn't even necessarily mean the type of work you're doing, but the volume, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, for so, sure, for sure. So maybe maybe that manager has a list of five things that they would really like to happen, and maybe, yes, they really are all related in purpose and mission. Mm -hmm. But if three of them take this big chunk of time and two of them only take this little chunk of time, that's important information in prioritizing which of the five really right. should happen. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's um, in in getting things done. Um, people are getting a lot of drinks this week uh, if they're playing <laughs> playing our drinking game at home. Play a lot um, at home. Yeah, uh, but in getting things done, uh, when David Allen talks about priorities, he talks mm -hmm. about the context that you're in and the time you have available and the energy you have available before he gets to anything like payoff or or mission or priority. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all of those factor into your minute-to-minute -minute priority decisions. Like, if you have 
three tasks on your list, um, and this kind of goes back to our, our topic a couple weeks ago where we talked about how long does it take to get real work done. If you have three tasks on your list and two of them are high priority, but they each will take two hours to do, and mm-hmm. one of them, it's kind of a nice to have, but it will mm-hmm. only take five minutes. And what you have in front of you is a minute, uh, is, a, is a five or ten minute window. You know, there's only one of those three you can do, and it doesn't matter how high priority those are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably in in one of the episodes where they when they did their multi part back uh, getting things done um, arc on back to work uh, a couple December's ago. Um, but Merlin Merlin says like you know if, if the most important thing on your list right now is to mow your lawn, you know you're getting notices from from like you know your your um, neighborhood association that you know you're about <laughs> to get fined because your lawn is overgrown. Um, it doesn't matter if that's the most important thing on your list, if that's the highest priority thing on your list, if you're on an airplane right now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so all that is to say, you better be in touch with reality when you're thinking about these yeah, things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think I think this is one of the things that uh, I don't necessarily agree that every manager should should be able to do the job of every one of their subordinates. Um, yeah. I, I certainly don't think that scales if we if we mean all the way down the chain and we're talking about the CEO. Um, uh-huh. I don't I don't necessarily need the CEO to know how to do my job in great detail to to have mm-hmm. confidence in his ability to lead my company. Those are two different skills, and I think that goes all the way down. Like me supervising the people who who I you know I manage at work um, isn't the same thing as me knowing how to do their job. On the right. other hand, it's good that I do know how to do most of each of their jobs. Because that will aid me when I say I need you to do this one more thing in knowing whether I am asking for – what I'm asking for is really just a button on a web page or if what I'm asking for is three weeks of coding. Mm-hmm. You know, um, And P.S. the people who, who work in my department do not make web pages or code. So <laughs> that's a completely <laughs> farcical example. Um, mm-hmm. But when I give them a project, it's good that I would it, – it's good if I know how to do it because then I will know for sure. You know, I'll know if they're complaining just to complain. If they say, mm-hmm. if they say, oh no, this won't fit, um, you know, I'll know what's really possible within right. within a certain margin of error, right? Um, and I think that's going to make me a better manager, and it's going to keep their jobs, you know, sane and doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what you're saying about s- different skill sets and abilities that feels really similar to something that I talk to my students about. Um, that it's not so important that you are able, um, let's say, as a reader, reading about someone's story, um, someone who's from a very different background than you, maybe mm-hmm. of a different race, gender, sexuality, what have you. Um, it's not so important that you're able to say, oh, yes, in this experience, we are exactly the same, but that you can appreciate or at least acknowledge um or be aware of, I think that's what I'm looking for, that you're at least aware that that person has a different set of experiences Mm -hmm. than you. Right. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be able to know what it feels like to be in their shoes. Mm -hmm. You have to know that their shoes are a little different. (laughs) Right. I I think that's, I think that's huge. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of, of empathy is not about, knowing what what someone else is literally going through or knowing mm-hmm. what someone else is literally facing. A lot of empathy to me is understanding that what somebody else is going through or facing isn't what you are. 
and that yeah. there are other possible responses to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think I, I would value more somebody who accepts the fact that it is different for me more than someone who understands exactly what I'm going through in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are plenty of people in the world who will think they know exactly what someone else is going through and therefore conclude it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it I, makes it easier I, to I, dismiss I, or rationalize. Right. I, I, Johnny T. Manager, have done your job before, so I know this is not a big deal. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful. No, mm. no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Maybe it is a huge deal. You know, yeah. maybe you, Johnny T. Manager, have gone through not only my job, but you were doing this very job a year ago, and it hasn't changed in the interim. Maybe mm-hmm. we are using the same software and working with the same clients in the same office. Maybe all the procedures are the same. That doesn't mean that you having found it not to be a big deal means it's not a big deal for me. Mm, and and, yes. and you could yes. literally you could literally know exactly what I am about to do, like, and still be wrong about whether or not it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, hmm, kind of like when you come across something different in another person the goal isn't always to find it to be a similarity and make a connection Mm -hmm. sometimes your job is just to acknowledge that it's a difference and that's okay right so maybe the the tie to this idea of creep is when you come across something new and exciting the goal is not necessarily to say oh yes that is the thing we should be doing let's do it now add it add it add it but to say (laughs) you know, is this something we could add? Is this part of what we're trying to do? Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's not, then be okay with justifying that and saying, yeah, that would be new and exciting. And what we're doing is also still exciting. So we're going to keep focusing on it. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. things being added on and added on and added on until suddenly you've got, you know, two jobs. Mm-hmm. Or more. Or more. Or or half of eight jobs. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Half of eight jobs, which uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, adds up to uh, three jobs. <laughs>